WBBM East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later, a look at uh, apocalyptic literature from 100 years ago. And then, our music editor, Rich Tupica, will take us on our weekly trip down Michigan's musical memory lane. But first, it's something to look ahead to. Two views on the 2020 presidential election. Later, a new guest who thinks Joe Biden should pick Governor Gretchen Whitmer as his running mate. But first, let's talk to our weekly guest, MSU political scientist, Matt Grossman. What? Matt Grossman, what a week. <laughs> what, uh, what's at the top of uh, your mind? Uh, well, I think for our parochial interests, it's uh, interesting that uh, Trump appears to have stopped advertising in Michigan, uh, even though he's advertising in a long array of states. Uh, so it could be that we're sort of moving out of the, the top tier of swing states as we get closer to the election. Mm. Very interesting observation. Uh, next week, uh, as long as we're talking about Michigan, uh, Joe Biden says he will announce his uh, uh, choice for vice president. Uh, care to make a prediction? <laughs> well, Kamala Harris is still the favorite uh, to, to be uh, nominated. Um, seems like there was a, also a trial balloon about uh, Susan Rice as uh, moving up the, the realm of possibilities. Um, so it's Still somewhat, somewhat open, uh, though he's, of course, already said it is going to be a woman and um, has uh, had African-American women at the top of the list. Uh, we've also talked a little bit about the, the kind of evidence for influence. Um, uh, there isn't a whole lot of direct influence from the vice presidential race, um, but, but one thing that it, it does do is kind of draw more attention to the convention and sometimes bring on uh, reluctant uh, party supporters, um, normal Democrats, back into the fold. Uh, there was a boomlet for uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth, uh, but uh, you didn't mention her. Uh, what do you think of her uh, chances? Well, I think it's uh, she's she's definitely on the on the list, and it seems to be a process that's dominated by a very few close. Uh, Biden advisors and everyone else is kind of arguing from from the outside and through the media. So it's hard to say um, who, who's currently at the top of the list, but we'll find out soon. Indeed, we will. So uh, going back to uh, what a week it was, I mean, we, we have uh, the worst drop in uh, a quarter uh, in our economic history. We've uh, Trump floats the idea of postponing the election. Herman Cain dies. Thousand Americans a day are now dying from the coronavirus. Trump's being compared to George Wallace. <laughs> and uh, the $600 expires, and it's all against the backdrop of John Lewis's funeral. Anything comparable to this in political history of presidential races you can think of? Well, most of that is, of course, bad for the uh, re-election of the, of the president, um, and some things are clearly not comparable. Uh, for example, our models, some of our models of uh, 
of election outcomes and economic growth uh, end up using the second quarter GDP number as a predictor. And if you went by that alone, you would expect Trump would only be getting, you know, 30 to 35 percent of the two-party vote and would be going down to a big uh, landslide. I wouldn't uh, put too much stock in, in that, but it just tells you kind of how, to, how, how far out of the norm uh, that economic number uh, was um, and how much that would usually suggest uh, a president going down to defeat. Uh, the, uh, uh, he has raised uh, some sort of distinction between absentee voting and voting by mail. Uh, is there anything to that? Or, everyone seems to just be dismissing it. Uh, <laughs> is there a difference? Well, the, uh, the the important difference from the president's point of view is that absentee ballots have have uh, uh, traditionally uh, been slightly more Republican, and the new mm-hmm. uh, more mail-in votings uh, have not. Um, and so there could be a direct uh, partisan interest uh, in in making that distinction. Um, there is a broader uh, issue of of how uh, new states. Um, uh, doing mail-in voting uh, will do. We, uh, the, the rejection rate of mail-in ballots tends to be higher in states doing it for the first time. Um, people do sometimes uh, forget to place their signature um, or, you know, find some other way to get their ballot uh, not counted. So there there are reasons to educate people on uh, getting their mail-in ballots uh, in. Um, but, um, you know, there, there's no, no sign of any of the fraud that uh, – that the president regularly uh, claims. So I think that the more uh, parsimonious explanation here is just uh, direct partisan interest. Um, the, the problem is it could backfire if uh, Republicans uh, don't uh, move forward with their uh, mail-in voting uh, at the same rates as Democrats. Yeah. Well, uh, we're talking to Matt Grossman, a political scientist from Michigan State University about the uh, 2020 presidential campaign as we do every week here on uh, City Pulse on the Impact 89FM. As I watched uh, the John Lewis uh, funeral yesterday and listened to President, uh, former President Obama, and as I look back on the week uh, in which uh, the the Biden campaign released uh, an interview with President Obama, uh, is Obama now emerging as Biden's not so secret weapon? I'm beginning to think we're going to see more of Obama than of Biden. Well, it's it's certainly uh, never been uh, shy about uh, bringing uh, Obama uh, out. Um, I wouldn't say it's new. I think we had seven different candidates. Um, use Obama in their advertising <laughs> for the primary election. So uh, it was clear uh, that uh, uh, everyone wanted uh, to, to be connected to Obama and the Democratic Party. And um, by comparison uh, with uh, Donald Trump's presidency, uh, Barack Obama's presidency is growing uh, more popular with the general electorate as well. So, uh, yes, we will see more of Obama as we get closer to the election day. We laugh, we, you know, we laughed uh, when you said uh, he, you know, Trump should be getting 30 to 35 percent of the vote. But uh, is that in the realm of possibility? I don't think so. I think we just have a very high level of partisan polarization and it will be 
Uh, if anything, you would expect Republicans to gain more of their traditional vote back as we get closer to the uh, election day. Um, just because, for example, if you say Biden is winning by eight points now and there's, you know, eight or nine percent undecided, those eight or nine percent are uh, much more likely to be normally Republican voters. Um, so if anything, you'd expect it to, to close the margin to close a little bit. Um, but one of the things that usually brings that on is the conventions. Uh, and so this year will be a real test. Um, I'm not sure people are going to watch. Uh, a uh, not in-person convention where there will be no uh, likely news. Um, And that is usually the moment that uh, Republicans and Democrats come back into their party fold. So it'll be interesting to see if that's delayed this year um, or if it it never uh, happens and we just have more of a swing vote this year. Hmm. Uh, The the president, uh, in the words of uh, well, the New York Times, uh, paraphrase, uh, paraphrasing William Weld, uh, the president has become panicked and unmoored. Uh, do, you, do you sense that? Well, I do, but it's uh, it's unclear when you would point to the period where he wasn't, where he was bored <laughs> <laughs> and uh, panicked. Um, but, yeah, certainly you'd have to put, um, you know, yesterday's tweet about, uh, possibly can can we uh, delay the election as being another sign that the president knows that he's in trouble uh, electorally um, and al- although you know th- we would hope that more even more politicians would come out um, being very stern in their opposition to anything about changing the election date to benefit the president um, there was absolutely no no support uh, for that notion um, and, and many Republican senators did um, come out against it. So uh, that's about as, about as good as we can expect uh, these days of partisanship um, for uh, condemning a, a, a proposal or a, 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 a and, you know, just, just putting it out there, uh, the president, uh, via, via tweet. Um, so uh, the election won't be delayed, and it's a sign that uh, the, the president expects to lose. Finally, the six hundred dollars, uh, whatever they end up doing, less than six hundred dollars, uh, something's going to happen. Uh, but uh, seems it seems like the Republicans ought to be jumping on this to bail themselves out in the f- face of what could be a landslide that could end uh, Republican control of the Senate and cost the Republicans the White House. Do you think it's just they're against it because they sincerely don't think uh, it's the right thing to do? Well, absolutely. It's odd uh, electorally on both sides. The the Democrats are fighting for a large economic stimulus right before (laughs) Election Day uh, that that would uh, directly – benefit the, the president's reelection hopes if uh, if passed uh, uh, is a guide. Um, and meanwhile, the Republicans are um, not wanting to move forward uh, with a package that would provide more uh, direct benefits and that the president and the Republican Party, therefore, would get more credit for. So um, you, you can maybe take it as good news that <laughs> there are uh, the parties do uh, take into consideration their actual policy preferences. Um, and uh, not necessarily always what would what would benefit them uh, electorally. Um, that said, it, it appears that we're going to miss a deadline um, in some way. Um, 
that at least you know the states won't have uh, the time to to get everyone um, their their checks moving forward um, because it doesn't seem like we're very close to an imminent deal. Uh, of course, uh, it, it sometimes always looks like that at the end, so we'll see. But um, uh, it seems like there will be some deal, but it may may come too late uh, for at least some people. Yes, in a country where uh, the average person has a few hundred dollars uh, in the bank at best, uh, even a week or two without it could be quite painful. Uh, Matt Grossman, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. This is City Pulse on 89FM The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. This week, expect Joe Biden to announce his running mate. Our next guest wrote recently in USA Today that Biden would be smart to pick our very own governor. Now I want to bring in a new guest on City Pulse. He is Brett Decker, who has a wide-ranging background in uh, both journalism and politics and is now a professor across the Ohio border at Defiance College. And uh, uh, Professor uh, Decker, before we uh, talk some politics, I wondered, uh, I noticed at the very bottom of your resume, you have a BA in political science from Albion College. Are you a Michiganian? Yeah, actually, uh, um, I've been gone for 25 years or so, mostly on the East Coast and overseas, but um, yeah, from Michigan originally. So grew up in Oakland County, went to Albion. Um, uh, love it here. You know, when I left, I always figured, like most, like most people from Michigan, right, there's almost this cult of Michigan. I always figured I would come back. I didn't mean to be gone that long. So yeah. even, to, even to get back to the region took a while. I got back here about two years ago, um, and just, just barely over the border and, and stayed down south. Well, welcome back. Oh, it's great! It's great to be in the. You know, everyone's so much nicer. It's great to be back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just be careful what they may say behind your back. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, so uh, you're a contributor uh, to, among other uh, uh, publications, USA Today, and you recently uh, wrote in a story on who ought to be, who uh, Joe Biden ought to pick for vice president. You recently wrote, you think it should be Gretchen Whitmer, and I wondered why. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's so much focus now on um, on Biden picking a running mate who, you know, it's dangerous when you start checking off qualifiers and you pick somebody for that reason. So right now everyone's saying it, it basically he has to pick an African-American woman. Well, it's okay if you find one who's a good candidate, but if you're just making that as a is is a is a mandate without having necessarily the right candidate, then it can cause trouble. So, if you look at what what a, a running mate adds to a ticket, the very first thing it's important for a, for a standard bearer to figure out is who will do no harm, right? So you don't want someone to come and and be a negation to your to your ticket. Um, and then you after that you start looking at okay who brings something, who adds something I don't have. Um, and you go down, and there are different qualifiers. So um, a lot of times there'll be like ideological diversity. Um, if if a candidate's in the middle or on the fringe of the party, they'll pick somebody to even out, even it out. Um, I think about Reagan in '80 picking uh, Papa Bush. You know, more middle of the road. A lot of people thought maybe Reagan was too conservative to get elected, so he he branched out. Um, or you might have like. A personality difference. You think of Pence, very kind of very 
moderate, uh, you know, sort of quiet person compared to uh, President Trump. Um, or you might ge- geographic diversity, um, LBJ picking Kennedy or, or Kennedy picking LBJ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoops, the wrong way around. So <laughs> I think I think when I was thinking about what what um, appealed to me about Governor Whitmer is what everyone thinks this is in the bag for Biden, or at least that's the media narrative now because the polls. But as we learned four years ago, the polls were very wrong. So uh, two weeks before the election, a lot of polls had Hillary up 10, 11 points. Um, which, as we all know, didn't really pan out to be uh, to be at, and, and polling is very difficult today, right? So, um, I just look at everyone's taking for granted uh, these states, right? Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Pennsylvania, Ohio didn't all go GOP at the same time since 1984. Well, that's a really long run uh, for the Democrats. For that to swing the other way last time, um, really was really important to to uh president trump winning so why take that for granted i think uh you look at the, those states and whitmer's you know is pretty popular at least her approval ratings for handling COVID have been pretty solid um shore up why don't you just show up shore up michigan and then uh it can help kind of bolster uh biden's support in, in the great lakes uh, well, let's unpack some of that now. Uh, you're you taking are you taking into account uh, then that uh, the polls are showing uh, Trump so far behind here that his campaign is at least for now not even advertising here. Yeah, you know, it's, I think too, right? It's still you know 90 day, about three months out. You, things really, really will heat up um, a little later, and I think uh, I think. I think you'll see right now, uh, you'll start to see as we get closer, uh, a little more focus on some of these places that uh, Trump left last time uh, that, uh, that are a little weak right now. So, I mean, if you, if you look at the electoral map, uh, he can't, especially Democrats have a huge advantage with New York and California from the beginning, what they don't even have to compete in. So Trump can't start giving up states. So at some point he's going to have to, uh, engage more in Michigan. Uh, if, if he does engage more here, though, I think the landscape really has changed. I was just up north a couple of weekends ago in a, the Charlevoix area where uh, even not in a presidential election year, you would see lots of Trump signs. You would still see anti-Obama signs. Uh, but this time, uh, very few, uh, relatively few Trump signs, and uh, uh, a number of Biden signs. Uh, oh wow! Seems like something is has really changed. Uh, now you're free, you're originally from Oakland County. That will be probably one of the most telling areas. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very different than the Oakland County where I grew up in the in the eighties for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. I wanted to ask you about yeah. something else. I noticed in your credentials you wrote a book called uh, The Conservative Case for Trump. I would suppose you're fairly well qualified to do that, having been editorial page editor of a conservative uh, newspaper, The Washington Times. Uh, is there? Uh, could you write a book today that, uh, called The Conservative Case for Trump? You know, I think you can. It would be qu- it'd be pretty similar to the last one. The last one was was basically focused on um, uh, 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 on a lot of these sort of populist economic issues. So, 
you, you know, contesting China more on trade, uh, looking at trade deals and that kind of thing. And I think on those issues, he's he's been relatively consistent. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at before, it's amazing how in this unusual economy, right? I mean, an unusual year we have, you know, before COVID hit, everything was trucking along. The economy was trucking along great. Everything looked like uh, it was actually looking like a relatively easy reelection and then wham. So, so I think, um, you know, I think, I think it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a fantastically interesting year to look at just from a political perspective. Um, but I think also, you know, <laughs> indeed, it's been a fascinating week. Uh, you yeah. know, it seems like uh, every day is explosive. Well, unfortunately, we, uh, we are out of time, but it's a pleasure to meet you, and I, I hope we can talk again um, uh, for a longer time soon. Absolutely, I can't say no to a newspaper guy. So, oh, thank any, you. Anytime. <laughs> Take care. Bye bye. Yeah. You're listening to City Pulse on the air on eighty eight. Point nine WDBM-FM at Michigan State University. I'm Burl Schwartz. How do these frightening times stack up to the apocalyptic scenarios found in 20th century literature? Dr. Kristen Mahoney from the MSU Department of English studies apocalyptic literature from that period and teaches a class about it. She spoke with reporter Cole Tunningley about how history might be repeating itself. Dr. Krista Mahoney from the MSU English Department never planned to teach a class about the apocalypse when she started working at the university. Before the election of Donald Trump, her studies focused mainly on queer literature from the Victorian era. But once a reality TV star became president, Mahoney decided that she needed to put together a class about the apocalypse. It just seemed right. The world seemed like it was coming to an end, and her students agreed too. The end was nigh. The apocalyptic Victorians class. I mean, I think one of the things I was trying to do with that class was to look at look at text from that period that kind of register a sense of dread, uh, kind of like a sense that like we were entering into a kind of ominous period and a kind of period where everything seems to be coming undone. So the kind of more gothic texts that we read, like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde and Dracula. I think speak to that. Mahoney tried to teach her students about the apocalypse from all angles. If your current life is awful, then why shouldn't the world come to an end? For disadvantaged people living in the 1800s, the apocalypse may not have seemed like a bad thing. Instead, it could be an opportunity for change to make the world a better place. But the other thing I was trying to do with some of the text, too, was to look at the way that... Um, some writers of color as well as queer writers were thinking about the way that the kind of end of one kind of world kinds of possibilities. And I think that does relate to some of the texts that we read, like we read um, Pauline Hopkins' Of One Blood. Um, I remember we read that. Uh, the Sutton Gregg's Imperium and Imperio. Um, so looking at kind of um, speculative fiction and things like that by black writers from the turn of the century, and then looking at um, some texts by queer writers or feminist writers um, who are thinking about, um, we're thinking in more optimistic ways about what it might mean for a particular way of thinking about race or gender or sexuality to come to an end so that a new way of conceptualizing those things could, um, could come into existence. 
Mahoney used the trials of Oscar Wilde as an example in our course. They show both that progress is being made during that time, and also that reactionaries were present, attempting to stop progress from happening. And one of the things that we talked about um, in the course um, had to do with the um, with the wild trials, and I think that you know those happened right in the middle of the decade. So, if the 1890s are marked by the same kind of sense of um, kind of a perpetual strife and change um, that we sort of associate with the 1960s, that we like think of in relationship to the period we're living through now. Um, that first part of the decade leading up to the wild trials, there is this sort of sense of there being this kind of increasing amount of new possibilities for sexual and gender expression um, because uh, Oscar Wilde, as well as all of these, um, the like, feminist writers who are part of the circle and other LGBTQ writers who are part of the circle are kind of pushing the boundaries of what is um, possible to say and what is possible to have be a part of the discourse in that moment. Um, and the way people tend to talk about the wild trials is this moment where uh, you get the sense that, that, that the culture was pushed too far and there was a, a kind of reactionary pushback against the kinds of forces that Wild and his circle represented. Mahoney still has hope that current protest movements will accomplish real change and make the world a better place. Yeah, I mean, the, the things, I, mean, I do feel, I mean, I feel excited about the conversations that are happening so much more pervasively now around um, prison abolition and the defunding of the police. Like, this feels so um, amazing to me. You know, these things that, that felt like uh, would be really difficult to get people on board for even a year ago. Um, now I feel like there's so much more public sympathy um, and even here, you know, in Lansing and East Lansing, like these conversations are happening, um, and that it doesn't. These, those, the talking about abolition no longer seems like a kind of fringe opinion, and that is something that is exciting to me. And I think that goes back to what I was saying that, like, if there is a sort of um, apocalyptic feeling to the moment, the thing I was trying to frame in the course is that um, for some people at the end of the 19th century, uh, that sense of dread had to do with feeling like the world in which they had occupied a privileged position was coming to an end. And for people who had not been occupying that kind of privileged position within that world order, uh, the idea of an apocalypse was not necessarily something to be um, to be seen as something tragic, right? Like that if the world that was currently organized could be completely destabilized and undone, there could be the possibility of a new order being brought into existence. And so I do think, like, when I think about the conversations now that are happening about rethinking, um, rethinking policing, rethinking prison as an institution, those are kinds of apocalypse that feel, that are, I think a lot of people are feeling pretty positive about right now. Um, and certainly not everyone, right? Um, so I think there is going to be a lot of, of moral panic from the, from the right about what this would look like if we actually do talk about defunding the police. For City Pulse, I'm Cole Tunningly. Thanks, Cole. Well, by the old clock on the wall. We'll be back with a new show, though, next week for City Pulse. I'm Burl Schwartz.